So again, welcome to you all here, uh, joining us for the Mass here for Tim Vaughan, also those joining us on Radio Maria. Uh, over the Christmas holidays, um, my, my mom and myself, we have a tendency to kind of binge watch either like The Crown or different things like that. But we came across this list, uh, little series of, about English, English history, World War II and English history. I can't even remember what, the, what it was called. It was I think, the English in World War II or something like that. speed. So the English forces had landed in Dunkirk, a French port up in the north, and they were expecting the uh, Nazis to come basically through Belgium and to, to attack the north of France via that way, because to come from the south obviously was much further, and also there was a, what they thought was a basically impenetrable forest down there. So they thought, like, you know, the, the Nazis won't go the whole way down, they'll come through, through Belgium, so it's better that we wait up north. Okay, what did, the, what did the Nazis do? They came from both sides, so they sent a small little force in through Belgium, but then the majority of the force up from the south. So basically, uh, the English and French found themselves completely surrounded there in Dunkirk. Then the Nazis bombed all the ports except Dunkirk, so there was no way out. They were trapped. Uh, and all, I, I'd heard this before and I'd seen it in the movie, but then, then the, the commentator uh, said something really, really important. He said, now that the ports had been bombed, their only way out was Dunkirk. But you can't just arrive with a big cruiser into a shallow port. You, know, you can't just have a, you know, a cruiser out there two kilometres out to sea. Uh, how do you get everyone out? There were 340,000 soldiers to evacuate. 340,000. How, how do you move that many people quickly onto a boat? You know, you, you can't, it's, you, you, unless it's a proper port that they can all walk onto, you can't. So it was, it was a huge, huge evacuation problem. So then uh, Churchill called on anyone in England uh, in the south with a boat, anything at all, and can carry more than 10 people, head over to France and ferry back as many as you can. Uh, so long story short, they, they built a, uh, a pontoon with trucks and all sorts of stuff just so they could get out as far as the ships. Okay, but what this commentator said, which was really interesting, was for all this to happen, some soldiers had to stay behind in what's called the rear guard and hold off the Nazi forces for as long as possible. Okay, now just, just get your mind around that. If you're in the rear guard, you stay there until you're dead. You, you, you don't get to advance, right? You stay there and you just have to hold them off for as long as you can so that everyone else can get in the ships, that everyone else can get in the boats, that everyone else can get home, that everyone else can get to safety, but you won't. And I just remember just listening to this, thinking of this going, oh my goodness, like imagine, just imagine you're, you're one of them. You know, you've got, your, you've got your machine gun set up and you've got your planes and the whole lot there beside to, to, to restock and re but you're not going to get out. You know, when your friend beside you drops, you're going to get out. And I just thought, what phenomenal courage, like. Because why not just desert? Nobody would know. Everyone's getting shot at anyway. In the chaos of the thing, no one would even know, would they? Your job is to hold back this force so that everybody else can get out. Your job is to sacrifice your life for the 340,000 soldiers waiting to escape. Now, they managed it. They actually managed, they actually managed to evacuate 340,000 soldiers. But there were, if you will, martyrs in the rear guard who made that possible. Now, when we think of our, of our faith today, and just the way, the way everything good, if you will, everything good in the world at the moment is being attacked, right? The family and general values and morals and priesthood and all of these like, good things that God has given us. They're all being attacked, the, the, the church in general. 
So I was just thinking of, 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 of this idea of the rear guard and, and, and the church and how, how that works. Like, in order to defend our families, at times we have to take a hit, as in uh, within ourselves. All the tendencies we will have to look for comfort more than serving our family, to look for maybe our hobbies, our addictions, whatever, whatever kind of passion we have to serve that rather than our family. That's the equivalent of, of the rear guard. You sacrifice yourself. You give up what is pleasurable to you in favor of your kids and family. Uh, or as a priest, like, you know, you could hide from your prayer life. You could indulge in all sorts of hidden, hidden addictions no one would ever know. Yeah, but or you take up the battle because the struggle, the battle is real. You fight against yourself and all these inclinations so that your parish and your, your people might flourish, might find God. And this, is, this, this applies to everyone. Everyone, no matter what our kind of level of responsibility is. The battle, the battle is real. The struggle is real. The struggle primarily is with ourselves, though. I think if we kind of point the fingers at everyone else that needs to change, I can't change another person's heart. I can only change me. Uh, so this, this idea of, of the rear guard sacrificing yourself for the good of others. Uh, in today's reading, in the first reading, the prophet Isaiah from the prophet Jeremiah, sorry. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you came to birth, I consecrated you. I have appointed you as prophet to the nations, so brace yourself for action. It's kind of a battle cry, isn't it? I like that. Brace yourself for action. Stand up and tell them all I command you. Do not be dismayed at their presence. I, for me, that's kind of this kind of battle cry. You know, we have, we have a church to renew. We have families to renew. We have society to renew. And that's entrusted to who? Well, to us. To us. The, the, the truth of our faith, the goodness of our faith, this walking with God and how this, how this heals our families, how this hopefully guides us away from addiction, how this creates a much better society, all that God has given us, all that our loving Father has provided for us. Living that out in the real world, that's what renews society. And that's entrusted to you and to me. And then we see how in the gospel, this, this, this kind of rear guard idea again, Jesus who is quite popular at the beginning of the gospel, all is, all is going well. Uh, people are astonished at the gracious words which come from his lips. But then they start kind of, so he preaches and he preaches well and they're all kind of happy. But then they say, but is he not just like, you know, Joseph, Carp the carpenter's son, like, do you remember he fixed our door there when it was squeaking and he made the table. Oh, he made the table down in O'Reilly's there. It's a solid table, good table. Um, but it's just him, like, I mean, what's, where's all this preaching coming from? Like, he, he's, he's, not a, he's not a scholar. He never studied anywhere. So is it not just Joey's, jo Joey's son, Joey's boy, you know? And so then they're kind of, so they're happy, but then at the same time they're kind of asking themselves, but sure, who is he at the end of the day? Like, is nothing special about him. And Jesus addresses this. And he says, no doubt, You'll quote me the saying, physician, heal yourself. And tell me, we heard, we heard all the wonderful things that you did over in Capernaum, do the same here. But they're looking kind of for entertainment, looking for magic tricks. You know, you heal people there, you walked on water, multiplied loaves and fish, whatever it was. Do the same here. That'd be great. Right, they're not looking for faith. They're not looking for proofs of faith. They're looking for entertainment. And the Lord then takes this temporary popularity and completely blows it up. <laughs> completely blows it up. 
because he names a couple of things which are going to be absolutely provocative to the Jews. So he says there are many widows in Israel in Elijah's day. When, so when, when it says here, when heaven remained shut for three years and six months, that's when it didn't rain. It doesn't mean heaven was shut. It means it didn't rain for three years and six months. So there was a famine. And Elijah wasn't sent to any of these people in Israel, but to a woman in a Sidonian town. Now, Sidon was, it was where Jezebel came from. The Sidonians oppressed the Israelites for a long time. They weren't liked, right? They weren't liked at all. So he wasn't sent to any of you guys. He was sent to your enemies. Now, you can imagine all the lads going, hey, hold on now. Hold on. Hey, easy. <laughs> but Jesus doesn't stop there, right? And there were many lepers in, a, in Elisha's time. But none in Israel, but none of them were cured. No, but the Syrian, Naaman, again, another warring nation that oppressed Israel. None of you were cured, huh? but your, your enemies, another enemy. And you can imagine the boys going, what's this fellow want like? And he doesn't stop there. One more, just to be sure. Okay? Like, you know, so he's, he's being deliberately, deliberately kind of provocative here, you know? So what do they do? Like, they, they, they're enraged. They're enraged, and they go from, isn't he wonderful, to let's kill him in three sentences. It's good going. Like, you know, so they want to drag him up and throw him down a cliff. You know, so it's just, it's, it's, it's crazy here. It's just, it's, it's crazy how, how quickly these people turned against the Lord. And yet all he said was, what was this in, is it's in Scripture anyway. This isn't anything new. People knew this. Didn't want to hear the truth. So Jesus is willing to sacrifice himself to be that rear guard. To take the hits. To take all of our sin upon himself. To bring it all to the cross. So that while all that battle is raging on between him and evil, we can make our way to heaven. What a gift. What, what courage, what selflessness, what, what an amazing example of, of fatherhood, masculinity, priesthood. Jesus taking upon himself all the hits that, that we earned, that we deserved, to get to heaven, so we can get to heaven. So today we have a, the end of a, a men's retreat going on here as well, so hence the use of a little more soldier analogies and that sort of stuff. But I think it really is important. I think it really is important for us as, as, as men, as fathers, to recognize our role, to recognize what we're called to do. And it's not about being macho or being big. It is about being virtuous, though. And virtue will require self-sacrifice. That's, that's the root of it. Virtue requires self-sacrifice. The battle is real, but so is the Lord's victory. So we ask the Lord today to strengthen us all in this battle, that we might put our own hearts on the line, put our own hobbies on the line, put our own pastimes on the line, put ourselves on the line in favour of those we love for the building up of God's kingdom. Amen.